You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning and welcome to Kootenai Community Church Adult Sunday School. And uh, I've been alternating with Cornell as he goes through 2 Corinthians. I have been going through Philippians. So we are going to once again look at the book of Philippians and we'll be in chapter 4. So if you would turn to chapter 4. And I'll read this morning's text. We left off last week in verse 19 of chapter 4. And we're going to read through the end of the text, but let's go to the Lord in prayer if we can. And before we begin, I want to just uh, lift up our... Brother Brian Ashby, as he is going through chemo, we got an opportunity to spend some time with him this week as he was in Kootenai Medical Center going through his chemo treatment. It's very difficult for him, and uh, I just want us to remember him in prayer. Father, we just lift up our brother, Brian Ashby, to you. And Lord, we just commend him to you and ask, Lord, that you would minister strength and healing to him, Father, and that you would mercifully enable him to respond to these treatments. And I pray, Father, that you'd be merciful on him through this time, as well as that you would grant him your healing. The doctors give prognosis, but it is in your hands under your sovereign control. We pray for Susanna as well as the children, that you would grant them grace and comfort, as well as your provision, Father, for all these medical treatments. We thank you for their love for you, and we know that you love them. And we just praise you and ask that you would do so to your glory as we Examine your word this morning in this book that you have penned through the Apostle Paul. We ask, Father, that you would enable us to not only understand what the Apostle is teaching and imparting to us through your word, but just that we would have also the grace to apply these truths to our lives not just have an academic understanding, but to truly glorify you through the practice and obedience to your word by your sovereign grace. And we pray that you be glorified as we examine your word, as we continue in the worship service to lift up your name in praise and songs and hymns, and also as your word is proclaimed through the preaching we pray that you would be honored and glorified and that the saints would be edified. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, this has been a marvelous book 
It was referred to as the book of joy by many of the theologians, commentators that uh, made commentary on this epistle. But it contained so much beautiful and essential doctrine. Many times we think, well, this was just more of a book of practicality. But when Paul pins something, you can't separate practicality. Paul has to bring doctrine, because without doctrine, we have no ability to practice. In this final closing doxology, Paul here is giving his final greeting. He's going to give praise to God. And throughout this epistle, the entire theme that we see woven throughout every chapter and every passage is God's glory, his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for God's word, and his love for the saints. Here, he just concludes this with this crescendo, and yet I would entitle this final lesson, Sola de Gloria. In beginning with verse 19, <clears throat> Paul starts with this. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So last week we looked at 18 where Paul expressed his great appreciation and thankfulness for the wonderful and sacrificial gift that the Philippians had sent to him through Epaphroditus. That was totally overwhelming Paul with joy for these believers. He understood that the gift was sacrificial, and yet he knew that they would be blessed. So as he continues with verse 19, he begins with this, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So as we approach the end of this epistle, Paul now assures these Philippian saints that God will supply every need that they have, not only spiritual, but also their basic needs. The Philippians, as I mentioned, sent this envoy to Rome with the gift, and Paul, he was still incarcerated in Rome. And there was such a great and godly outpouring of these saints that Paul had shared the gospel with on his second missionary journey that he wanted to give them a final greeting in his letter to him, to them, excuse me. They loved the apostle and provided gifts for him throughout his ministry, even in Macedonia. He knew the Philippians would not only receive spiritual blessings for their sacrificial gift to him and their service to him, but he also wanted them to know it was God 
who would be the supplier of all their needs. Now, many have done shipwreck with this passage. The name it and claim it and the prosperity doctrines which heretically have distorted this text. But this is a marvelous text. We have to understand that this is our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is looking to him for all his needs. And he knew that God would be the supplier of those. The phrase, according to his riches and glory, also reveals the extent that God would supply the Philippians their earthly needs. He would do so according to his riches. Paul had seen God's abundant provision throughout all his missionary journeys. He had seen God's protection even when he was tortured, imprisoned, and shipwrecked. God's sovereign hand was upon his servant Paul. He wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed, and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, the phrase or the saying, lion rescued out of the lion's mouth, was common in that period of time. That was just showing that when one was in dire danger, and Paul was using this to show God's protection, even in that, when he was threatened even of his life. He knew God's sovereign hand was upon him. He would be here until the Lord wanted to take him home. So he was thankful for that. This week, it was interesting how I had two memorial services of two different individuals. And woven through the memorial service, they were both Christians. It was God they focused on. Not so much the individuals that passed and went to be with him. Yeah, there was the eulogy and the testimonies of what these individuals meant. But more so, their love for Christ was exalted. And that, to me, should be the center of our focus here on earth. What we do is what God does through us, and may he be glorified through that. God would supply every need not wants. Many times people think, well, God will supply all my needs, but they don't recognize the biblical context of what needs are. In this country, we, are, we live in luxury in the sense of the practicality of God's provision. What are our basic needs? Food, raiment, and shelter. Paul lived with that. That was all he needed. He was content in whatever circumstances he was in. There was no need for any additional things for him. He wanted his cloak to keep him warm. He wanted his parchments. He wanted food. And he had shelter. So Paul was satisfied with that. He was content. And that was the whole showing Paul's ability in his contentment that 
God would satisfy all his needs. <clears throat> he says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. So Paul was gifted, and he was teaching this in that passage uh, to the Corinthians, which Cornell is covering. And he was trying to show how contented he was, and yet he knew that these gifts that were given to him, they weren't prosperous people. The Philippians lived in just basic needs, and yet they pulled together and offered and brought this gift to Paul, and he shared that with others as throughout his ministry. <clears throat> Paul knew that... Uh, these Philippians had given of their earthly possessions sacrificially. Through his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus Christ sets believers apart for God and makes them holy. The writer in Hebrews notes, we have been sanctified, set apart to God. That I put that in there too identify the word sanctified, again, hagias, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, Hebrews 10.10. 10. So when the apostle wrote Corinthians, he exhorted them this way, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We're a new creation. God has not remodeled that old man, he has crucified that old man. We still live in the flesh, but yet we are a new creation. We've been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Scripture teaches that all of us as believers <clears throat> are saints because every believer is separated unto God. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism unto death, so that it is Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Romans 6, 3 through 7. Paul continues in Philippians in verse 21. He said, the brethren who are with me, greet you. So who are these brethren? We look at this and we recognize one of them was Timothy. And just when Paul opens this book, 
this letter, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Paul mentions Timothy again in chapter 2, verse 19. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so they also may be encouraged when I hear of your condition. There was Epaphroditus. He, of course, was the one who traveled from Philippi to bring a gift. Chapter 2, verse 25. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, minister of my need. So as we look at those, we also recognize that Tychicus was also possibly with Paul. He was the bearer of the letter to Ephesians. And he said this, but that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing, Tychicus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And then in uh, one of the others considered to be with Paul was a man named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave of Philemon who had stolen from Philemon, his master. And then he fled to Rome and met Paul. He wasn't in prison, but he met Paul. Paul had led him to faith in Christ Jesus. And then he wrote Philemon to tell him to receive him back and explain that he was now a child of God. <clears throat> Another person who could have been with Paul is Aristarchus, who was also a longtime companion of the apostle and may have also been among the brethren. In verse 2, he says this, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, that's interesting. Caesar's household. So let's examine this a little bit. Uh, it's always a great joy when we see somebody repent and come to the Lord. And if we've had the privilege and opportunity to share with somebody and the Lord opens their understanding and they turn to Christ, it's a joyful experience for any believer. So as Paul continues in verse 22, he said, all the saints greet you. The circle of greeters from Rome may have included some of those that responded to the gospel, uh, even from Paul's detractors. Remember those? Some were preaching out of jealousy and strife. Well, they still preached the gospel. Even though they had wrong motives and sinful motives, some of these came to know Christ. <clears throat> so the converts in Rome were grateful to the Philippians as well as wanted to greet them. Though the converts in Rome were all on different levels of maturity, they still understood that these Philippian saints had sent a gift all the way to Rome through Epaphroditus, and they were thankful for what they were doing, so they also greeted the Philippians. <clears throat> But when Paul says, especially those in Caesar's household, um, some of these believers might have been known by the Philippians. Remember, uh, the Philippian uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. So there were many Romans 
that these Philippians knew before they were saved. And then in this time of becoming a Christian, they knew some of these others in Rome had become a Christian. And so they were greeting these Philippians because they knew some of them. It's interesting. There was a a 19th century New Testament scholar by the name of uh, J.B. Lightfoot who found some parallels between the names that Paul lists in Romans 16 and the names of the members of Caesar's household, which dates back to the first century church. So this is a, a theologian that's also a historian, and he found some similar names in his research that were also those in Rome, which may have been of Caesar's household. Now, John Calvin, in his commentary, he says this. In these salutations, he first names all the intimate associates, then all the saints in general, that is, the whole church at Rome, but chiefly those of the household of Nero, who was the Caesar. A thing that ought to be noticed, for it is no common evidence of divine mercy that the gospel had made its way into the abyss of all crimes and iniquities. It is also the more to be admired as it is a rare thing for holiness to reign in the courts of the sovereigns, end quote. That's a profound statement that Calvin had made. In other words, these rulers, that was the most corrupt city in uh, I gave some history on that when I taught Romans, and Cornell gave a history of Rome and and Corinth, and their lives were just, it was a pit of depravity. And yet, Caesar's palace was even more corrupt. So what John Calvin was saying, it is no small miracle when the gospel penetrates those who are the sovereigns over a country. Think of it how that might transform even this country. We should be praying. Yes. Uh, It is indeed. Paul did. I mean, to the centurions, but further, even in the household of Caesar, which covered all the magistrates. I mean, Paul had an influence within the governing authorities of Rome. So, Jenny was asking uh, the question, what about those who would want to penetrate areas like Hollywood? And some Christians would shy away and say, stay away from that. But there's darkness there in a direct parallel to what Rome was. So indeed, where there's darkness, we want to share the gospel to bring true light and dispel the darkness. So anytime a person has an opportunity, um, we've all had associates or worked with people that we, we didn't even like, but in Christ we could love. And yet to think of them in eternity in hell should be an impetus for us to pray and intercede for them. So that's a good point, Jenny. <clears throat> Paul concludes in verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. 
This is a familiar salutation that Apostle Paul uh, gave in many of his epistles. Grace. We know grace is God's unmerited favor towards man and its reflection in the life. It is the manner in which believers are saved. Believers are not only saved by faith through by grace through faith, but we're also sustained by God's unmerited favor, his continual grace in our lives, grace to understand God's word, grace to apply God's truths to our lives, grace to intercede for others, grace that sanctifies us, enables us also. We must also be dependent upon grace for forgiveness, for peace, for joy, for boldness, comfort, as well as the ability to understand and apply God's word. So let us review briefly this epistle. In chapter 1, Paul says this one doctrinal statement that is tremendous, and it gives us the understanding of God's sovereign election. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, Back in the time when we began this, this is my lesson for a tremendous doctrinal teaching on God's sovereign election. We have to understand it was God in eternity past that set his love upon all those whom he calls. In chapter two, also in uh, chapter one, toward the end of it, he talked about the conduct of Christians. And then throughout chapter two, he continues on with that. But he also gives the doctrine of Jesus Christ incarnation as well as his sacrificial death on the cross. Then he gives us the understanding of working out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Chapter 3, the warning of the Judaizers and then the pressing on toward the goal of Christ Jesus. And then the fourth chapter, Paul summarizes with the essence of give, not being anxious for anything and with everything in prayer and supplication, letting our requests be made known to God. And then... God's provision for all our needs, and then the great doxology that he concludes with. This is the end of this book. I believe that it was a a pure joy to study this book and to try to impart as close as I could to the text to expound it. My prayer is this, not that we have a just a literal understanding and an academic understanding of this book. But my prayer for each of you is that you will understand and by God's grace apply these truths in your lives to bring glory to God and those that may not know Christ as a personal Savior, that they would understand their desperate need for forgiveness because we are all sinners And there is only one who could pay that price, the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering and death on a cross and his resurrection. He 
alone is the one whom we place our faith in for salvation. So I thank you for bearing with me for these 40 lessons, and I pray that God will be glorified in his word and through his word. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the grand privilege of collective worship. We pray as we lift up our praise and songs and hymns to you that you will be glorified. We pray through the preaching of Cornell's message that you would bring our understanding and give us the grace to apply the truths which we learn from your divine word in, in all things. Sola de gloria. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.